in today's episode, decades of marketing, determining your next purchase, and poor use of natural resources. gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, before we get to our guests, please, please, please leave a review. It's the number one way to support this show and our nine other oil and gas podcasts. We had a great one from, I can't even pronounce the name, Jaja Sand from the United States. Now I understand what all the rave is about. I just listened to the IBM Aviva episode after a co-worker sent it to me. I work for a major and agree that we need to do a much better job of using technology to drive efficiencies now during this double black swan event and moving forward. It was valuable to hear about speeding up the recovery. And quite honestly, I had no idea that IBM had so much AI experience. You just picked up a new subscriber. Well, thank you, J.I. Jace Ond from the United States. A great review. And we're sitting here in the canon as usual, and I'm sitting here with Michael Sullivan. How are you doing today, Michael? I'm good, Mark. And I'm all sitting here with John Gibson. And John, we've run in the same circles for years. It, well, we don't run anymore. I'm <laughs> run, but, uh, we keep running into one another. <laughs> yeah. And John is the chairman and CEO at Flowtech Industries. And today we're going to literally talk about what do we think the future is going to be in oil and gas from a, from a technology point of view and from a culture point of view? And so, Michael, we, we have this conversation all the time about how what we're going through now is going to accelerate change in our industry, right? And we've all seen it happen in some ways or another. But I think it's really cool that you brought John in on this conversation as well, because he's going to come at it from a little bit different angle. Yes, that's what I was hoping. That's what I was hoping. Well, because, and you, you kind of passed over, you said John is the CEO of Flowtech, but you passed over all the other like very well-known significant companies that he was a CEO of. So I was particularly thinking that you have not just, you know, you, you kind of have some historical wisdom on these things. And so everybody's looking forward right now saying, oh, what does the industry look like? What are, you know, is it, we got a downturn, but also, you know, there's all this, you know, all these other things have happened. And what does our world look like going forward? So today kind of zeroing in on for technology, you know, oil and gas was getting pretty excited and fine kind of getting excited with digital transformation before all this stuff went down and they latched on to some things that they really wanted to do. What is that, you know, it, presumably you still need to do a lot of those things because they were being done for good reasons, but what does the future portfolio of a CIO look like or what does a company need to try to do to take advantage of uh, all this and be successful going forward? Is that the question? That's, the question. that's a big loaded that, bear that question. Kind of the, no, it's not a question. It's more just a topic that okay. I was thinking I'm, about. That I was thinking about when I said, "Hey, we should have John come on." No, I, I, I love being here and uh, appreciate you guys inviting me. And that's such a broad area to discuss. I mean, I'm not sure where you really want me to focus coming in. But first thing I'd, I'd comment on is it takes a decade of marketing and actually to get any traction with new ideas and, and new innovation and the adoption of it. So if we look back, we've called digital transformation, digital oil field of the future, informationalization and integration. I mean, we've had a dozen different terms for it dating back to the 90s. So we're about 20 years in as an oil and gas industry on, on the adoption of, of a, a different way of using digital data. It didn't happen last night. And so, I, you know, people talk about large data, big data. Oil and gas industry has been doing this a lot longer than Microsoft and 
and Amazon and, and others. I mean, so it's, it's, it's an industry that sort of has evolved from having to handle, manage, manipulate, analyze uh, data in order to make better decisions. And we're just now beginning to get new tools that change the way we do it. So the, the things that for, that for me that are cool are, we've been talking about it, but to actually transform an industry, you need different data. And so if you continue to analyze the old data in, in new ways, you make incremental progress, which for me is that's nah, not useful, but it's exciting to know that we're gaining the new data and new sensors, new information. So we have things that fundamentally you didn't have 10 years ago to, to do analysis on that, that actually give you insights that change your decision making. And so we're not just taking old data and using it again and again with new analytical techniques. We're not applying machine learning necessarily to old data and trying to make a decision. We're trying to augment that with things that bring new understanding, new insights, and are transformative as opposed to... So digital transformation really is, is the transformation of information that is required for you to make a decision. It's not just putting it in a computer or putting it in the cloud. It's just like, what do you fundamentally measure? And then how does that change the way you do the analysis? Hey, John, so you've been around for a year or two, and you've seen this industry change. That's so, a polite way. Okay. <laughs> well, I think we're all getting there. <laughs> yeah, um, okay. But, you know, to your point, back when it was paper mug logs, it's still big data, right? It's just that the architecture was on paper. And so as we move forward through time, we've used different digital technologies to speed things up. But one of the things I still see as an industry we do is that we spend our key players, like our engineers, spend a lot of time trying to clean data up so they can then actually use it to make good business decisions. Do you think moving forward, technologies can help us let these engineers go back to just being engineers and let them do what they're best at? That's such a hard question to answer. I mean... Go back to Michael's point just a moment ago. Yeah, I didn't, never really thought about it, but when you're interpreting a seismic data section on paper, you really have uh, you know half a terabyte of data represented there on a piece of paper, and you're doing the interpretation, and the neural network is the human being, and so all of the analytics are occurring through your pattern recognition of what's on the paper, and so we've, we're sort we're evolving to where there's the volume is so great. We're looking at you know petabytes of data for a pre-stack seismic file offshore that if we've gotten to the point where your ability to visualize it is just not practical <laughs> there's so much information that we we don't have as human beings the ability to see it all and see the nuances and so i'm excited about you know sort of how the computer can see well below the resolution of, of what i'm able to comprehend and and identify and small things. When people say water analysis, Mark, nobody does water analysis. They're only really interested in that one-tenth of one percent that's in the water that makes it taste bad or it's carcinogenic. And so it, when you're looking at data, you're really interested in one-tenth of one percent. You don't really have any interest in the water. You have a lot of interest in other pieces. So I, I think we're, we're beginning to apply it to a different way of doing it. I did not answer your question, Mark. No, it's what, okay. What, no, what, no, is, your, what is your question again? <laughs> I'm still thinking about my No, you, you, actually, you actually did, yeah, you did answer no, no. the question, or you touched on it. And so my whole, my whole point was, to your water example, is that, you know, we don't need the 99% of the data to help us make big decisions. We have to get rid of the stuff that doesn't help us and concentrate on that 1% that does help us make the right decisions. Well, it's, you know, I'm actually an investor in and on the board of a company that does data compression. And you're able to do the analytics on the compressed data because you're absolutely correct. What I really need to know, there's, there's less than one-tenth of one percent of that data that adds any value. 
And if we knew what to go and collect to get that a priori, we wouldn't be collecting near so much data as we right. are today, but particularly in oil and gas. But we, we don't know. So we're collecting huge volumes of data and then trying to, to find the data that are hidden in there that actually give us insights that we can exploit to, to improve profitability. And that's true in almost every, for instance, uh, credit card fraud. The way that they actually analyze how you make transactions and where you are and the rapidity of that, they're not interested in all the transactions you do. They're interested in the anomalous transactions that actually identify this as a fraudulent activity. We're in the same business in oil and gas. Our fraud happens to be oil and gas. (laughs) It occurs occasionally, and it's in a mountain of other data that is absolutely useless. That's why, you know, in one of the previous episodes we were talking about the edge computing, once you get beyond exploration and you're into, into you're actually out there, you know, developing and producing, to be able to push that modern computing out to the edge so that you can tease out all the anomalies that you're interested in before you start shipping all that stuff back to the cloud or back to your data center or whatever, like to get that real-time processing so that you can find those bits that you're interested in and then do something with those. Yeah, it's... I guess I'm a researcher at heart. And so, so you want all, all you want all I want all of it. <laughs> because it's, it, when I it's take expensive all of, though, you know, right? It, it is expensive. It's, it's, but it's, if you can imagine that if I'm looking for fraud, there's only a small amount of the data that I need. And it's the anomalous part. But I determine the general pattern from the rest of the data. If that same set of data, if I'm trying to do suggestive retailing, then I want to analyze your buying behavior so that I can determine what the next purchase you will make might be so that I can put those ads in front of you. So all of this sort of data is being analyzed in different ways for different purposes. And so it's all the way down to the supply chain. Now that I know everybody's buying behavior, I'm actually able to determine what trucks need to be loaded, how to deliver physical products to different distribution points, because I'm not analyzing just you for fraud or just you for suggestive retailing. I'm analyzing the market for supply chain management to know that people in this area eat Heinz 57 on their steak. People in this area, it's ketchup. And so what, what is my, you know, how do I get the right product to the right market? And all of that becomes you know, an even bigger analytics problem. So, we, I mean, we're moving into places where I'm stunned as to how well they know what to put up on my screen that I might buy next. And uh, we won't talk about all the things that they advertise to me. So. It, but it's aggravating. I literally was looking at something on Amazon, and Amazon's one of our sponsors, a big shout out to them. And it was too much money, so I wasn't going to buy it. So the next day, they served me an ad saying, here's the thing you want. it. You can have it for half price, but you have to buy it right now. And it's like, damn it. I had to buy it. I had no choice. You know. And, but to your point, you know, that's a lot of big data analytics. The other thing I think is interesting is as people, we accept that big data analytics, that, that predictive algorithms on things like ads, right? But in oil and gas, there's still this kind of like separation between the technologist people and the guys that are running the oil and gas business. And I think that needs to go away. I think the business of oil and gas needs to be as invested in technology as the old IT staff used to be. Every human being needs to be invested in in technology or you're going to miss quite an opportunity as an individual. So your point, I I sort of think of it like this philosophically. If I look at all that's done in an oil and gas company, everything that we know how to do should be automated and roboticized, right? We shouldn't have people doing that, everything. So if you know what it takes to optimize a system or you want to optimize a system, you're far better off with computers because it can handle more data faster and look for smaller anomalies in in order to optimize it. So if you need that last 3%, let the computer do the last 3%. 
Control with a computer doesn't identify new things to do. And so what you want to do is to create as much open space in the, the mind of your workers so that they're looking for the thing that's not an optimization problem, but an innovation or creation problem. And we need to spend more time on what's next and less time on optimizing this. That's where computers, where data, where analytics are absolutely, they, they change the way that you run your business. And if you need to improve by 25%, you've got a completely different set of problems. You need new management team, okay, because they're not implementing the best strategies to to improve profitability of your company but boy computers are way better at the at the two three four percent optimization and they can sustain that whereas it's it's hard to do with with people right they also don't perform differently because they got in a fight with their wife that night right well, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, yeah. They, computers don't get fatigued uh, they don't ask right. for vacation they right. work 24 hours a day they don't have to pass dot you know issues i mean so it, why do you have all auto autonomous trucks that'll be delivering because your biggest error is human error in, in driving trucks. The the accidents occur because people are tired or they're angry or they're frustrated with their, their job or their financials or and so mistakes are made, right? Computers just don't fail you there, right? They fail you for other reasons that you can you have more control over. I want to kind of circle back. I like your point about people need to be looking for the things that the computer doesn't recognize, right? Is that a cultural shift? Is that a change in the way we think as an industry? I think it's hard to think, to be honest with you. Most people don't. The majority of people you talk to are not thinking. They're not. The moment COVID hit, you know, people began to staying at home, working the way they did. I've watched people that can't figure out how to turn off the mute button on Zoom, right? We've been at this now yeah. for two and a half months. Yeah. If you haven't found this the mute button by now chances are pretty good you're not a good employee in the in the times to come because that's not a very difficult task but we're not thinking in the ways that are transformative we continue to do what we've done over and over again and and in fact the hardest part about technology for technology sales for breakthrough innovative companies is you go into a company that is working full out because they're understaffed and you try to introduce something new and they have no desire or no time to change what they're doing, even if it makes them three times as productive, okay, because they, they can't do it. So I think transformations when you have a leader that says, you know, we could be 300% better if we did this and then take the risk to do it, which means now it's change management, overcoming inertia. It's the human element of change. I mean, all of those things. But thinking Thinking is not a strong suit for human beings anymore. <laughs> we, I could go down this rabbit yeah, hole literally well, for so hours. Well, but I, there was one thing, because I latched onto that same thing that you said about let the computers do this this stuff over here and let, you know, essentially let people work on stuff that they can. Or And that, I mean, we've said that for years. Like, I think back to my, in my consulting days, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20, we'd, we'd go in and we would do projects, you know, when I was part of the evil consulting teams that would come in and, and we would do these projects and say, and tell people, well, if, if, you, if you let us put this in place for you, that will free your people up to do more important things. But nobody really ever knew what those more important things were that those people were going to do. It was just sort of this assumption that if you let us put a system in here to do this, this tedious stuff, people will work on more. And like for years, I've always wondered, you know, when it, and we do that today, like Nutanix does that. We go in and we say, we say, hey, our platform will make all of your computing infrastructure invisible and people won't have to spend so much time doing all the things that they're doing now. And they'll be, you know, with all this tedious administration and they'll be able to do more important things. But like, what are a good examples of the more important things 
that people can do. Sorry? He wanted to say some podcast marketing services. <laughs> well, I'll come talk to you when we're finished. So in all my years of podcasting, I have never had a podcast marketer come up to us while we were doing a podcast. A podcast. Yeah, first what I'm time. most impressed with, Mark, is the fact that when he came up to sell us the marketing materials, he decided that I was in charge here, and so he gave me his material. <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. But you know what? You just need a hoodie. That's all. But actually, it's a, that actually kind of fits in what we're talking about. That's a change in culture. It is. Right? right? Literally, we're sitting here recording a podcast, and who would have thought there's a podcast marketing company in the same, you know, in the canon. And then he had the gumption to come out here and talk to us. You know, that that's a different culture. The old way of selling that services is this guy would have reached out to one of us, try to get us to go to lunch, right? right? Try to sit down, not really understand our business and try to sell us something. You know, it's, this is a little bit culture change right here. The number of emails, unsolicited emails I get in that want to do business transformation for me. I mean, I, I wish I had a better artificial intelligence algorithm that could go through and say, I've never spoken to this person. I don't know this person. Their business right. is not growing. They're not helping people. And it would just delete them for me automatically. I think email's the most non-productive tool that I deal with every day. And so people that would, so a new business for me is if somebody will come out with something that'll manage my email for me in an <laughs> aggressive way, I will buy the first copy. Right? <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I sit around and go, I get 300 in by lunchtime and I go, what the hell am I supposed to do with all of this stuff? And you start looking through it and 75% of it right. is delete, but you have to read enough of it to yep. delete it. I really wish we had a bot that would read that and delete it for me. Yeah. And I'm in the market. So we tried a couple of solutions and none of them work well. Me too. So, so we have an, I have an admin that does it for me because I get about 200 emails a day and about 70% of it's the same seven questions. And usually those questions are trying to sell me something. Well, I mean, they're trying now with the apps themselves. So you take Outlook has a focused inbox and an other inbox, which it's kind of silly because the other inbox is now what we used to call the junk inbox, right? And so it's, it's trying to figure out what you don't want to see and move it over there. So I applaud Outlook and Microsoft and, you know, Google for trying to put tools in place because if you look at our society today, the greatest amount of nonproductive times looking at email. Yep, I agree. It's, no it's, a, it's a waste. And, and tell, I'll tell you what, ask CEOs how many of them have a process in place to minimize nonproductive time associated with email. Okay? And the answer is nearly zero. Really? Yeah. I mean, just start asking, and I think you'll find that people, we just have adopted a technology and we're not trying to manage it. And as a consequence, we're losing tremendous number of cycles in companies today where people are spending more time on email than they are doing the work that they, they should be doing. Than running the business. Yep. And yeah. it's, just, it's a huge waste of time. It really is. I find myself in that trap often. I, I got to stop and walk away. It's like, this is not making me any money. Me sitting here for an hour and a half answering emails, you know. But it changes how you hire people too, though, Mark. I mean, in, in you know, there'll be some people that recognize themselves when I say this, but if, if you send me an email as a CEO, okay, and you, you want to change a company, and you've written, you've written seven pages, and the, the to-do things at the end of the seven pages, if I make it to the end of it, I'm mad for having read the seven pages, right? I'd rather you call me and just said, can I have five minutes, right? Because I can get, I can ask questions that's far more interactive instead of doing this over the email. And so people today are not adapting to the technology where, but particularly on mundane things where we get the ask right at the front of the email. I tell people all the time, put your question or your ask in the subject line. 
Right. Okay. And then make sure the first paragraph is like any good newspaper writer used to do. That's got enough in there to make you read the rest of the article. Don't start out with goofiness. Imagine if you will. <laughs> right. you know, it's like once upon a time, delete. right? Or uh, and, and and we don't we haven't adapted to where our email as an individual is not efficient. And so you'll find as a CEO, you're answering so many that you become terse and people then think that that's the way that you are. And it's not really accurate. It's just that I don't have time to sit and send a three page email response to every email that I get. So I'll send yes or tomorrow at two. Right. (laughs) And they go, you know, he's he's terse. The guy, he's mean. You go, no, it has nothing to do with that. He's efficient. He's busy. He's, he's busy yeah. and he's efficient, right? And he's he's not going to sit there and do this or she's not. And so it's a changing a changing world. Five years ago, I'd try to actually respond by typing. And now I'm going, forget that, right? So, funny, so I'm struggling with that myself. I feel wrong if I don't respond. And yet some days I don't have enough time to even respond. I just have to delete if it's not important to, to what we're doing. Well, on some of these emails, I mean, I know you guys are getting them too, but they come in and, and it'll say, you know, we can transform your business. It, it, when it starts out like that, I know that I'm about to hit delete. <laughs> but you wish that it, you had something that would read that and then automatically notice in the do not contact me again email, right? Beca- and because it's, it's like we need to deal with this. And they'll call back over and over again. And, and so, for instance, LinkedIn, an, another bad place to be, to be honest, because if you accept, then you're going to start getting messages. And, and the messages, half the people you accept because you don't really feel like doing ignore because that just feels mean. Right. right. It's like it's feeling I, less mean to me lately. Well, <laughs> I've gotten to where it feels comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a ignore. Don't, don't accept. But you go and I, I still do it sometimes out of curiosity. And sure enough, it becomes yeah. a, a, a time waste. And so how, how do we how do we manage technology in our lives? We're not wasting our lives fooling with things that don't matter. You yeah. know what this means from now on when I want to get in touch with you. I'm just calling your cell phone. It comes up. I mean, that's, <laughs> it's, 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 I answer. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny during this COVID-19 lockdown, where all the financial advisors come from on LinkedIn? Like every day I have a financial oh, yeah. advisor. And you know when you click accept, the next message they send you is, hey, I can help manage you through these turbulent times. Like you don't even know if I have money. Right or you don't know if I manage my own. I mean, just why don't you ask a nice question or two? Does it work? Does like, it, they, yeah, they must. Somebody must bite on these things. Well, I mean, right? you, or else if you wouldn't. study the the sort of we'll call it the West African letter to try to get you to send <laughs> your bank account information, it's interesting that they have misspellings in them and and problems in them, so that a learned person can immediately hit delete because they're they want you to delete them because they don't want to waste time with you and so they're really targeting a specific audience and those errors are actually done on purpose right because wow. that they i can, never even thought about that it uh, makes you, you sense it makes fiscal it. sense okay you, you ponder why they do what they do they're successful or they wouldn't do it right but they're also trying to weed out that 98 percent that'll They'll just answer and then fool with them, right, and and waste their time or perhaps get them arrested. But somebody that responds to it sincerely that has read something with the grammatical errors and the misspellings and the the crazy promises that, that they make in there, that's the audience that they're targeting. Right. So just imagine they have great marketing minds working on those letter, letters as well. 
Man, I never thought we were going to go here with when we start this conversation. This is probably useless for your audience, Mark, but I mean, it's like, no. but you, you think about how we're marketed to now, right? In a digital world, everybody is trying to reach into your pocket, right? And so when you sit down to read an email, right, unless it's from one of your family members, and it might be that they're reaching in your pocket too, if you're yeah. in my family, but it, it's about trying to reach into your wallet and get some cut of your spend. And so how do you identify that and how are people using different marketing methodologies to do that and which ones are successful? I mean, that's, there's an art in there all in, into itself. Yeah. So my VP of marketing and his team are really heavy into that big data analytics. Uh, they're using Spotfire to, to actually comb through a lot of stuff. And it's amazing some of the insights they come up with, even to the colors like we have a, a event coming up on the 18th, even to the colors of the event, they know what colors to put in the invite that will give them the highest chance of people opening and, and signing up. And it's, you know, to your point, if Skynet ever happens, like in Terminator, it's not going to try to kill us all. It's going to make us buy stuff we don't need. Yeah, it's been this way for quite a long time, right? I mean, you have suggestive retailing so that when you're at a fast food place, would you like fries with that, right? That's how they increase their profitability is by increasing the the amount of product that they sell through suggestive retailing. If you're in a grocery store, it's designed for you to spend money. So the end caps, as you make that turn, are the things that you that they're they're trying to promote or to, to get you to pick up. Where things are on the shelves, how many there are on the shelves, how the shelves are organized. Those things are not ad hoc, right? They they have it in a specific way to encourage buying. And I'm not sure that we really understand how much in our own lives we're being bombarded with marketing and is it good and the answer is i can argue yes and no okay but i'll take no for the moment we'll be an advocate for no and say we're buying things we don't need right and if there's one transformation that needs to happen through societies all over the planet is we need to get down to the things we need and and not be to buy things that go in the closet and remain in there for three years that's a poor use of natural resource Yep, and, and it's happening all the time. Yeah, John, I want to really circle way around here. Before we turn the microphones on, you talked a little bit about when this whole COVID-19 thing started happening and you thought, can we help? And you pull the team together and you'll start making hand sanitizer. Can we talk about that a little bit? Because I just think that's a wonderful story. It's cool. I mean, if you know me very well, my faith's very important to me. So trying to do something for others that's beneficial means a lot to me. And when you see the, the complete destruction of demand through what we did with COVID-19 response by governments, I don't know if it was necessary or not, topic for a different conversation, <laughs> but, but it, demand destruction was enormous. And the whole behavior and fear aspect of it, one of the things you wanted to do was lay some of the fear. And so I, I happened to be in Canada and I was coming back and I was watching people trying to use hand wipes to wipe off the arm of the, in the airplane and other things. And I went, you know, we're a chemistry company. That's what we do. I've got 12,000 gallon stainless steel tanks, 6,000 gallon stainless steel tanks, hot rooms for chemicals. We blend and chemicals. I mean, that, that's what we do. That's our competence. And I wondered, well, I'm not doing anything because that nobody's drilling any wells, so you don't really need complex nanofluids to change the relative permeability in a reservoir. And most people don't really actually understand what that means. But what we did need at the time was sanitizer, and so I thought, I bet we could do sanitizer. I mean, we've got IPA alcohol available to us, and I've got a squadron of PhD chemists. So I got back, and I got them in the room, and I said, hey, guys, wonder if we could make some, some hand sanitizer. 
And so these are good people, right? I mean, really good people. And I've got a gentleman named Ryan Azell and a, a PhD chemistry, Mississippi. You've got another one that was a professor, uh, James Silas. And I said, what can we do that? And, and Ryan said, oh, you sure betcha we can do that. Now, let me think about that. So two days later, he calls me back and he says, uh, you know, we've, we've produced over 12,000 gallons. I, was kind of, <laughs> I got in trouble. You know, when you're dealing with people in the commercial world, you forget sometimes to be more specific about your ask because I was thinking a couple of hundred gallons. And in, instead, we got a, a few thousand gallons. But it allowed us to make donations to homeless center here in Houston where uh, awesome. you've, you've got – hygiene issues and, and other things for people coming in off the street. We felt like they needed it and they operate off donations. So we donated it there. Texas Children's Hospital, city of Houston, got to meet Mayor Turner. Well, one of those uh, afternoon COVID briefings, right? We donated to Houston, to the hospital systems in Midland, and believe it or not, to the hospital systems in Washington state, where they had a serious COVID issue and we had a connection there and we were able to send product there to help out as well. So pretty exciting to do good. It's, it feels great to do good when you can as a human being. And that's a little bit about what the spirit of ESG. I don't like ESG conversations when it's just manipulative, but when it's in the spirit of community, it's in the spirit of improving life for, for everyone. I think it's, it's exciting to talk about ESG. It is exciting, about it. and it feels good when you help another human being. I, I think this world has gotten a little bit too far away from that, but I just love the fact that y'all did that, and I love the numbers. <laughs> like, that's an incredible amount of hand sanitizer. Just out of curiosity, is there still a demand for hand sanitizer? There is. I mean, it did open up the opportunity to talk to other people. As soon as they see you doing that and they see the volumes you have, they go, could you do that again? And so you can imagine that we've entertained those conversations, and trying to look through doing that. But a lot of things had to come together for us to do it. One is you needed a market that needed it. And we had that through COVID-19. You had to have the government put out guidelines through the FDA or you would not be able to do this and because of the, the regulatory issues. And you still had to meet really tight guidelines, but they made it possible for you to do that without having months of permitting to, right. to do that. So our government was outstanding in, in doing that. I mean, I bragging on government's not something you normally hear me do. Either. <laughs> uh, but right. I mean, the way that they addressed this is they made it possible and there is going to be a demand. One could argue that, uh, you know, it's about, believe it or not, it's about $3 billion a year in the hand sanitizer, sanitizer market. I had no idea. And it's anticipated to grow by double digits for the next several years. It should be $5 billion probably by the end of 2020 or 2021. And, it, and it'll have a, a double-digit kegger going forward. And so it's a, it's a market that's interesting. And it's a question, though, of having quality control, understanding the regulations. Topical, the things you put on your skin, much more highly regulated because it comes in contact with people. Then you have other sanitizers that are used for the floor, for restrooms or others that are being sprayed on. What they're spraying on carts at, at grocery stores to, to protect you. And, and it's interesting. I'm, I'm interested to see how this works on things like the flu, right, the common cold and other things. We don't know the the far-reaching effects of this as we go forward, and then which things will actually cause transformation of the viruses and, and bacteria as well. I mean, it's, you know, we ended up with antibiotic-resistant bacteria through yep. improper use of bacteria. You, you also have to be concerned about that in the world of sanitizer. Oh, yeah. 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 
as much as I hate to do this, John, I could talk to you forever. We got to get you back on the show, but it's about time to start winding this thing down. This is part of the show where we do the product reviews. I just picked up an Echo Dot smart speaker with Alexa. I have it in our studio and it's the coolest thing in the world. I can walk in and go, Alexa, turn on the studio lights and all the studio lights come on. And I know it's kind of old. It's been around for a while. Very useful, very inexpensive. I think it's $49. Big shout out to Amazon to send that our way. If you want me to review your tech product, please, no heavy iron people. I don't want to review or I can't review your air compressor or your mud pump. Little techie, geeky stuff. Send it my way. You know the deal. I'll always tell the truth. If it's great, I'll say it's great. If it's not great, I'll say that as well. Also, big shout out to Street Team. We're getting ready to do our first Oil & Gas Podcast Summit sponsored by Deloitte. It's on the 18th of June, so this may come out right after that. But our Street Team's playing a part in that. If you want to join our Street Team, it's our all-volunteer group, global group. Go to Facebook, just search for Oil & Gas Street Team, join, get some cool shirts, some swag. And then, Michael, thank you. Nutanix has given away these really cool JBL Flip 4 Bluetooth speakers to our listeners. So just go to the show notes, click on the link, register. If you don't win one this week, you can register next week. Michael, you can't win because you work for Nutanix, but John, you can win. So big shout out to Nutanix. If you need help understanding and operating highly automated private hybrid clouds, these are the guys you want to talk to. And then while you're out on the interwebs, go ahead and give us your email address. Go to oilandgastechpodcast.com. I promise not to spam you. Michael, as always, this has been great. John, it's great having you on the microphone. I mean, literally, we, we went all over the place, but it was a fun, interesting conversation. We got to do this again. You know, I don't know if it's useful for your listeners, but I love to think and to ponder my most common words, pondering. And so anytime you want to ponder something, give me a shout because I enjoy it. Yeah, we're going to do it again. All right, folks, we are making sure that you do not get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. Hey everybody, Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on, but we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.